For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to Freedom Through Faith. Prepare to be blessed as pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau leads us into the anointed study of the Word of God, teaching and empowering you how to impact your world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching you how to receive the blessings and provisions of God and how to walk through this life with Freedom Through Faith. And now, here's Pastor Robert Thibodeau. We now rejoin today's message already in progress. Now the history problem seems to be the issue. But there really shouldn't be any perplexity about that either because the Bible deals just as explicitly with that as it does with the problem of science. Now I know that some people are going to write me and say they think the Bible's just a textbook on salvation. That's the beginning and the ending of it. But that's not true. Salvation is just one thread that runs through the entire theme of the Bible from front to back. The Bible's purpose, the Word of God's purpose, is the destiny of the people living in the world. If all the Bible cared about was salvation then that's all it would preach about. It wouldn't deal with the fall of man. It wouldn't deal with hell. It wouldn't deal with all the things that have to do with living in a godless world. The Bible is infinitely more than a textbook on salvation. Now, it is that. That's true. I mean, that's a major component of it. But it is much more than that. The Word of God in total revelation is concerned with the entire world. The condition of the world and the humanity and the destiny of humanity. The Bible, if you so please, has a very profound philosophy of history and a very distinctive worldview. Amen? Careful reading and study of the Word of God will show this to you. If you just peruse your favorite psalm or reread over and over and over again the Sermon on the Mount or flip around and find your favorite gospel and read it every day, you might not get it. But if you carefully conduct a study of the Word of God, you will find that everything that occurs in history has a place in God's divine plan. The Word of God, then, is concerned with the whole spectrum of the world and its destiny and the people's destiny that live in it. Amen? Okay, I said all this to get to this point. Glory to God. Habakkuk is an illustration of this problem because the prophet treats the problem of history in his book and he treats it in a fascinating way. Now, remember, we're talking about 
revival in America. Okay, and you're going to see America in this prophecy. You're going to see the condition of America. You're going to see the condition of the church in America. And this is just serving today as the introductory lesson, glory to God, to all of this. Habakkuk does not treat it from an academic standpoint. He doesn't treat this from a theoretic standpoint. He doesn't treat it from a philosophical standpoint. He treats it from the personal perplexity in his own life. He has questions, and he wants God to answer them. He says, basically, God, I can't figure out why all this is happening. If you are who you say you are, why is it like this? How many of us have ever asked that question? Amen? So, you know, I mean, like I said, the car breaks down and the washing machine breaks down and you're getting laid off and you're overdrawn to the bank and you cry out, God, why is this happening? See, you're just like Habakkuk. And you have an absolute right to come to the Almighty God and ask for wisdom and understanding of what's going on. But then you have to have the faith, you have to have the confidence that God will reveal it to you. Sometimes he uses things that you don't anticipate. He could send someone to talk to you. He could send a donkey to talk to you. Amen. God used the donkey to talk to the prophet. Glory to God. He could send you to a part of the Bible you don't normally read, like the book of Habakkuk. You see, the Gospels are good. But it's not the entirety of the Word of God. The Gospels is just the testimony of a few of the apostles about what the historical facts were about Jesus when he was in the earth. And each Gospel talks about a different facet of what Jesus was doing here. Paul's letters that make up two-thirds of the New Testament are answering questions that some Christians and churches had about living by faith. The book of Revelation was given to John so that the believers could understand when the end times were beginning. The Old Testament is made up so we can see where we came from in our faith and the reason Jesus had to die in our place. So there's different facets of what's going on. So when you're reading and you're praying to God, why are these things happening? He may lead you to read the book of Genesis. He may lead you to read the book of Jonah. He may lead you to read the book of Habakkuk. Or any other gospel, glory to God. Or any other chapter or book in the Bible. So... 
I want to join now with Habakkuk in the experience he is facing right now. He's troubled by what he is seeing in the world around him, just as we are troubled in what we see going on in the world around us. Amen? Well, what was the situation in Habakkuk's day? Well, the situation in his day was that Israel, his nation, was backslidden. That's nothing new for Israel, just as it's nothing new for the United States. Israel had turned from serving God. Israel had forgotten God. Israel was completely given over to idolatry. And that begins, as we read in verse 2, the real cry of his heart as he looks at Israel and says this, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? How long shall I even cry unto you of the violence, and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance, for spoiling and violence are before me? And there are those who raise up strife and confusion. Therefore the law is slack, and justice does not go forth, for the wicked has surrounded about the righteous. Therefore justice goes forth perverted. We could say almost the same thing today. Amen? I mean, this is a horrible picture of Israel that Habakkuk is giving. And the prayer that he is praying is, God, they're in a mess. I've been asking you and asking you and crying out for you to change it. Why don't you do something about this mess? How long do I have to cry to you and you won't listen? There's many people that can look at the United States and say the same exact thing. This is a horrible picture of Israel, and it's a horrible picture of the United States today. And the prayer that Habakkuk is praying is, God, we're messed up. I've been asking you, and asking you, and asking you, and asking you, crying out for you to change it. Why don't you do something about this? How long do I have to cry and you won't listen? What a situation. Sin and immorality were rampant. Those in government were slack and indifferent, just like today. And those who applied the law did it dishonestly. Justice was nowhere to be found. Bribes were rampant, just like today. Only today we call it political donations. Habakkuk, a man of God, has had his heart just bleeding for God as to why God allows this. And this, that's the condition that Israel was in. Lawlessness, sin, immorality, and such as that. Just like we are living in today. As we look around the world, we see the same characteristics exactly as in Habakkuk's day. In verse 2, he says, there is violence. Well, that's a watchword for today. Every single day you hear about violence on the news. You know, when I was growing up and a murder was committed, even in two towns over, it made 
the evening news. It made the newspapers. It was a big deal. Now, every day, it's not a matter of if someone was murdered this day, but how many? Four, five, you know, Chicago, 10, 20, in one day. Violence is everywhere. In verse 3, it says, there's iniquity. There's violence again. There are those who raise up strife and contention. There are revolutionaries stirring up trouble. Verse 4, therefore the law is slack. There's no justice fairly and honestly administered. Law and authority are not dealing fairly and honestly. That's some of the accusations being hurled around today, isn't it? It's difficult to find justice in this world, just as it was in the days of Habakkuk. And so Habakkuk is perplexed by the situation he's facing, and he cries out to God and says, God, if you are who you say you are, why are you letting this happen? And we stand by in our country today, and we can look at God with almost the same quizzical expression in our brain and say, God, why is this happening? Why is it that we as Christians are constantly crying out about these things, and there's nothing changing. It only gets worse. So the situation wasn't very good. And if you think that situation was bad, wait till you get a hold of the solution. In verses 5 to 11, Habakkuk gets probably the most unusual answer to prayer that anybody ever got. Amen. If you think God's inactivity was perplexing, just notice his activity. Habakkuk was perplexed in verses 2 to 4, but it must have been nothing compared to what's going on in his head after he hears God's answer. Glory to God. Verse 5, God says, Behold, among the nations in regard... God doesn't say, I'm going to use your prayer and everything's going to be sunshine and roses. No, he says, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days. First of all, I'm going to work a work which you will not believe even though it's told to you. And here's the answer to Habakkuk's prayer. Verse 6, for lo, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and nasty and hasty nation, which will march through the breadth of the land to possess the dwelling places that are not there. They are terrible. They are dreadful. Their judgment, their dignity shall proceed from themselves. Then he describes their horses and the swiftness which they're going to conquer. Their horsemen are going to cover the land. They're going to come swiftly like an eagle. In verse 9, they're coming to do violence. They've set their faces forward. That means they're not going to be distracted. They've got a goal and an objective in mind, and they're going to go at it and not stop till they get there. says they shall gather the captives as the sand. They're going to pick up the whole nation of Israel. 
They'll scoff and laugh at the kings and princes. They'll deride every stronghold. They're going to heap dust and take it. And then in verse 11, they're going to glory and think they did it because of the power of their own God. Listen to this. Basically, God answered Habakkuk's prayer by saying, You think it's bad now? You ain't seen nothing yet. That is an unusual answer. Habakkuk's been crying out, God, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us, deliver us. And God says, Not only will I not deliver you, it's going to get far, far worse than it is right now. In this scripture, we can see that God intends to raise up an utterly pagan, godless people to come in and destroy the nation. We could be looking at the same thing in America right now. He's doing the same thing in America right now. And by the time we finish this series in a few weeks you will be able to see it as well. I've been studying this, and God has shown me something. And I get hate mail all the time about, you know, how I'm so, what's the word? Anti-American. How I'm so critical of the administration. How I am so... I can't think of anything better than anti-American. And that is so far from the truth. Unpatriotic. That's another one. Folks, I'm as patriotic as you can get. I believe 100% in the American dream. I believe 100% that America has been blessed by God in our foundation. That God has been guiding our nation. Up until about the late 1950s to early 1960s, when we as a nation made the decision to reject God and embrace humanism. And that began the downfall where we have arrived at the bottom of the barrel today. We're not under the barrel, we're at the bottom. Under the barrel comes next. But I'm getting ahead of myself. God has shown me some things that actually connects America to Israel. Things that no other nation can say. They can't claim it because it's not true. But when we look at what connects America to the nation of Israel, you're going to see these close ties that the Obama administration has been trying to sever and cut. We have forsaken God just like Israel forsook God in the days of Habakkuk. You'll be able to see all of this by the time we finish with this study. But for right now, just trust me, okay? Just trust me that I will get there. I'll walk you through this step by step on what the future holds for America and how the Christians can prepare for it. We won't be able to stop it. But we can prepare ourselves and we can prepare our families to escape it.
Amen. And we need to take as many people with us in the rapture as possible. We, Our job is to teach others that judgment is coming to America and how to prepare to escape it. Now, like I said, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go back to the book of, of Habakkuk. What I just talked about, what is happening in America, is also the problem in Habakkuk's day. Number one, why does it appear God is inactive? Why doesn't God respond to the cries of his people? Secondly, when he does, why does he answer that way? And through these 11 verses, we learn three great truths about the way God does act. God's ways, first of all, are mysterious. Secondly, they are really misunderstood. And thirdly, they are moral in everything he does. God's ways are mysterious, misunderstood, but yet moral. Amen. So that's the basic outline we're going to go through the rest of today. First of all, let's notice how God's ways are mysterious. Now, I've hinted at this already. First of all, notice that he is mysterious in action. It's strange how that God is silent during very serious circumstances. And we can stand there and we say, well, why why did God let Israel get this far gone? Why didn't God smash those idols right away when they were put up? Why did he allow false prophets to rise up and lead the nation astray? Why didn't he just strike them dead on the spot? Why did God allow Israel to deteriorate to that point? Why didn't God maintain the purity of Israel? And we can also ask ourselves the same questions in reference to the church today. Why has God let liberalism come into the church? Why has he allowed it? Why doesn't he strike those false teachers? Why doesn't he strike them dead on the spot when they utter their blasphemy and their denial of the faith? Why does God allow so many wrong things to be done? Why, in the context of the church, does God allow people under the name of Jesus Christ to commit the atrocities that have been committed? So many churches in our world that name the name of Jesus Christ and under the name of Jesus Christ are doing absolutely unbelievable things. Why does God allow that? If God is really God, why doesn't he keep a pure church? Why does he let this happen? Not only that, why hasn't God answered yes to all of my prayers? I pray in faith. How long have we been praying for revival to come to America? Answer that question. How long have we been praying for revival to come to the whole world? Why doesn't God answer yes? Why is there no revival? We pray for decades, and it seems like God doesn't hear. Why? Why doesn't God bring America to its knees? Why doesn't God take these people who've turned against him and turn them toward him? And you've probably asked in your own heart, on an individual basis, why does God allow so-and-so to get sick? Why doesn't God heal them? Or you've asked, why doesn't God save that person that I've prayed for month after month after month after month? Why? 
Why is God silent in the midst of all the atrocities committed under his name in his church? Why did he allow it in Israel? Why does he allow the world to go on like it's going on right now? If he's really God, why doesn't he fix it? Why does God allow corrupt politicians to be the leaders of this nation? Why doesn't God just strike them all dead right now as they lead the, before they can lead this nation astray? Why doesn't he raise up a righteous president to lead us? One who fears God first and foremost and worries about politics second. Why? Why doesn't God do that? You see... God's ways are mysterious, aren't they? His inaction is mysterious. Amen. And secondly, his unexpected providences are mysterious as well. And the second thing we discover from Habakkuk is that God sometimes gives very unexpected answers to our prayers. And this really shook Habakkuk. It shook him up. For a long time, God never seemed to answer him. Then, all of a sudden, God answered. In Habakkuk's mind, God was answering all along. But he was not answering the way Habakkuk wanted him to do it. And finally, God answered. And his answer was even more mysterious than before he answered. Because you see, Habakkuk thought he knew what Israel needed. He thought it was my, well, here's what Israel needs, God, just in case you don't know. God, number one, God, just do it this way, it'll be okay. They need revival, God. And secondly, after that, you, after you kind of put them in their place a little bit, and revival begins, then turn them around and turn them back towards you, God. That's what they need. They just need a little whipping and then they'll get smashed down and punished a little bit and then they need a great revival in the land, God. And they'll turn back to you and after that, everything will be alright. But you see, God had other plans for Israel. John Newton said he felt he wanted something better in his spiritual life. So at one time, he cried out to God for a deeper knowledge of God. He cried out for a deeper understanding of his own spiritual light, and he besought God that he might have a new dimension in his Christian experience. I know some people have prayed like that. I've done it. You probably have, too. You know what happened to him? He expected some wonderful vision of God or some dramatic blessing from heaven. Do you know what he got instead? Instead, he had an experience in which for months, God seemed to be a million miles away. God seemed to abandon John Newton to Satan himself. He was tempted and tried beyond his comprehension. The exact opposite of what he was asking for. But you see, God had allowed Newton to go into the depths of suffering in order to teach him how to depend entirely on him. Only then, when Newton had learned his lesson, did God bring him out and bless him. Amen? And there's a Bible principle there, that suffering 
always precedes glory. Do you know that? Suffering always precedes glory. And I suppose the best illustration of that is football practice. (laughs) Some of the guys know about that. Amen. You have just heard a message of encouragement from anointed pastor and teacher Robert Thibodeau with Freedom Through Faith Ministries in Baltimore, Maryland. For more information on the Freedom Through Faith Ministries or to invite Pastor Thibodeau to your church, please visit our website, www.ftfm.org. That's FTFM for Freedom Through Faith Ministries. Again, that's ftfm.org. Until next time, when we gather together around the Word of God, be blessed. And remember, we serve an awesome God. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.